Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Slashing penalty against the Stars. Blues shoot it wide. Rebound, they score! The captain has scored! The Stars are living! Bonus on the bench with the hands on the hip. The Blues have tied the game one to one. Into the far circle it goes. They center, they score! Two to one Blues! Two to one Blues! That puck deflected in off a Dallas defenseman. Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues pulled a rabbit out of a hat tonight. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And those are just a couple of the highlights from an absolutely wild weekend in sports. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. We have a lot to get to on this Monday. We do. It, it was incredible over the weekend. We're going to hear from the voice of the Blues that you just heard, Chris Kerber, coming up at 815. We're going to talk to Sean Kelly. He is the voice of college football for ESPN Radio. He'll join us at 845. Dan McLaughlin as well. And the Blues win again, just a point out of the lead in the Central Division behind the Nashville Predators. And the Blues are back in action on Thursday night as the Seattle Kraken make their first trip to St. Louis. But yesterday, it was all about setting records. A 55-year history of the franchise that started in 1967, Michelle. And those two goals you heard? The first time in history that the Blues have trailed in the final minute of regulation and then won the game in regulation. First time for everything. Yesterday was as good a time as any if they wanted to make a little bit of history. But how crazy is that? That any time that you turn on a game, you can literally see something that you've never seen before. Right. And we saw it yesterday with the Blues. Yeah, and there was so much going on, it would have been easy to miss because, hey, you're down one nothing, and you really, even though you'd played a good game, hadn't been able to get anything past Braden Holdby for the first two periods and 59 minutes and all of a sudden the blues do you heard ryan o'reilly and then jordan Cairo. things are going your way when you're bouncing a puck off the skate of the opponent's defenseman but are you surprised as though to those two names that we're mentioning for the blues to get the victory yesterday of course it's the captain who puts the team on his back and gets the tie mm -hmm. when the team needs it and of course it's jordan Cairo who comes up with the game winning goal a another thing you're going to put on a highlight reel 25 always seems to be in the middle of this stuff yeah that was uh that was definitely really fun to be a part of. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen too often. You know, you come back like that in the last couple of minutes. So, yeah, it was just, I know it was pretty electric out there. It was, it was fun. It was a great win by us, too. A huge win. And Craig Berube, the head coach, man, I told you, Michelle, this team is, they're just good at winning. Well, I mean, we had an opportunity to tie it up, is the way I looked at it. <clears throat> um, you know, 
getting a call and uh, having a six on four. You know, it seemed like we were in pretty good control there and, and uh, moving it around pretty good. And, you know, uh, guys did a good job attacking the net. And, you know, we had numbers around the net offensively and banged in a, a banged in a rebound. If you're going to be good at one thing, finding ways to win games is probably what you want to be good at. But how resilient is this Blues team, Randy? Whether it's injuries or guys being on the COVID list, games being postponed, negative degree temperatures, it just seems like they bounce back from anything. Yeah. And this weekend was a great example of that. After that loss to Pittsburgh last week where they incite the beast that is Sidney Crosby and end up losing the game 5-3, to three, they bounce back with a great win on Friday, an exciting 5-1 to one win over a good Capitals team. And then they find out a way, even in the last seconds of the game, to pull out another victory yesterday versus Dallas. Yeah, resilience is a really good word for it because that's what they've had to be throughout the entire first portion of this season, closing in on the first half of the season. And like you said, they're they're beating pretty good teams. Dallas, even though they they aren't there in the standings, they're talented. They're a good team. Washington is one of the best teams in the league. They took care of Minnesota last week, and Minnesota had led the Central Division for much of the season. The Blues finding ways to do it, and you you have to find ways to do it in this league because we always talk about how a two game winning streak can knock you out of out of a playoff, or a two game losing streak rather can knock you out of a playoff spot. And that's what makes this team so dangerous. And if I'm a, uh, the rest of the NHL, I'm paying attention to the Blues because not oh. only are they talented? Not only do they have a lot of guys on this team who are battle-tested and who have won before, they have the depth, and they're finding ways to win. I don't look at any team in the NHL compared to the Blues and say, if I'm the Blues, I'm scared to face this team. Or they can't find a way to win versus X team. And there's a lot of Blues fans have, that have made a judgment on Jordan Bennington over the course of the first portion of the season. I, I have a tendency to look at his career and over his career, he's been great. Bernie mentioning yesterday that he's a top, in his opinion, a top five goalie in the NHL. Bernie Federico on the Bally Sports Midwest uh, pregame show. Joe Vitale says this. People that have been around the block in the NHL. And yes, I will give you that Jordan Bennington hasn't played his best. But that tells me he's going to play even better. Also, his best consistently is an unattainable standard. Yeah, it is. If, if we expect Jordan Bennington to be the Jordan Bennington that we saw during a stretch during the 2019 run to the Stanley Cup, that is never going to happen. You're never going to have someone that's going to be able to play at that elite of a level every single game. No, it's n not realistic, like you said. So the Blues win it 2-1 over Dallas, and they're off for a couple of days to the Seattle Kraken in town on Thursday. It was a crazy weekend in the NFL. We got started on Saturday night, Kansas City holding off Denver 28-24, and the Chiefs go into yesterday thinking, oh, we got a chance at home field throughout the playoffs. Dallas hammered Philadelphia 51-26, solidified their playoff spot. And then yesterday, Green Bay only plays Aaron Rodgers and the starters for the first half, and the Packers fall to Detroit 37-30. Michelle, I got the vibe during that game. It, it felt a lot like the end of the 99 Rams season, where Vermeil put everybody on the bench, and a first-year coach was Andy Reid of the Eagles at mm -hmm. that time. Had a team that was still playing hard at the end, and the Eagles beat the Rams in the season finale to render them 13-3 and on the season. And here's Dan Campbell with his team still playing hard and knocking off the Packers 37-30, to even though it was a, obviously a diminished Packers team in the second half. Even though it was a diminished Packers team, I still think that's a really good win for Detroit. That's something that you can send your your team, your fans. It's a good, it's a good uh, bookmark to the season for them to get a win versus a team like Green Bay, even mm -hmm. if Aaron Rodgers isn't in there. That's something that if you're a Lions fan in not only a season of pretty 
pretty low moments, but let's say a decade plus of pretty low moments that you can look at this Lions team and say, at least Dan Campbell seems to have this thing pointed in the right direction. And this is a team that's going to play hard for him until literally the last whistle of the season. Michelle, I, I said down the stretch for about the last month that the team that you didn't want to see in the playoffs was the Indianapolis Colts. Well, now you don't have to see the Colts in the playoffs <laughs> because they had a stranglehold. And we'll talk more about this in four downs. They had a stranglehold on a playoff spot in the AFC, lose to the Raiders last week at home, and then lose at Jacksonville to close out the season. You're going to lose to Jacksonville? to close the season, then you don't deserve to get into the playoffs. No. You really don't. You don't. And what that did, that loss by the Colts, and everybody assumed they would win, it opened the door for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger in his last season, and they go to Baltimore, and they knock off the Ravens in overtime 16-13 and open the door for themselves to make the playoffs yet again. So many things had to fall into place for the Steelers to get there. I'm sure they were watching with one eye open Mm -hmm. at certain points of other games. But here they are. Mike Tomlin has his team in position once again. And then last night, with Pittsburgh having the door opened with their win over the Baltimore Ravens, you go to overtime in the game between the Oakland Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers, a couple of teams that moved. And if those two teams tied, then the Steelers would have been eliminated and both the Chargers and the Raiders would have made the playoffs. And for whatever reason, in the final minute of overtime, Brandon Staley and the Chargers call a time up. Game could have very easily ended in a tie. Mm-hmm. But then Rich Basaccia channeled his inner Herm Edwards. Hello. You play to win the game. And he, he you don't get... play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win the game. Mm -hmm. And they handed the ball off to Josh Jacobs. He sets up a game-winning field goal for Daniel Carlson. And the Raiders are in the playoffs, and so are the Steelers. Yeah, this one's going to be heavily debated throughout the day on many different platforms. But the Chargers look like they're playing for the tie. They call the timeout. The Raiders... It, it changed everything after that. You've heard all we're going to hear, probably if you haven't heard already, a lot of the post-game comments from the Raiders on how that timeout shifted mm-hmm. their mentality and changed everything. But if you're a Chargers fan this morning, are you waking up and being like, was that a bad dream that it came <laughs> oh, down man. to that timeout and we could be going to the playoffs if we had just played for a tie? That's all they we, had to we do. We didn't it, make that call. The Raiders were playing for the tie yes. and Los Angeles handed them the timeout that provided something else a loss for the chargers meanwhile it's going to be a crazy weekend of football in the nfc next week in large part because for the sixth consecutive time kyle shanahan's san francisco 49ers knocked off sean mcveigh's los angeles rams 24 to 21 a huge contingent of San Francisco fans at SoFi Stadium. And the Rams took the lead on a touchdown pass. Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup capping a nine-play, 92-yard drive with 2.29 to go, 24-17 in favor of the Rams. However, or 21, I'm sorry, uh, 21-14 in favor of the Rams. But back come the 49ers, no timeouts, keyed by a 43-yard strike to Debo Samuel that set this up. Pass is caught, Jennings, touchdown, 49ers. Joe Buck had the call, and off to overtime we get. Garoppolo leads his team to a field goal. Matthew Stafford tried to lead the Rams back to a tying or winning score. 49ers. 
Watch Stafford go deep and picked off. Intercepted by Ambry Thomas. And the rookie has just ended this game. If he is inbounds, they'll look at it. They did. It was an interception. The Niners win it 27 to 24. The Niners are in the playoffs. If they would have lost that game, New Orleans would have made the playoffs. And the Rams moved down to the number four seed in the NFC. And they'll host the Arizona Cardinals next weekend in the first round of the playoffs. A lot of implications in that one. And I, there's so much to unpack from that game. First of all, you're right. A lot of red in those stands. Mm-hmm. A lot of red in those stands. And they were making a lot of noise. It didn't feel like a home game for the Rams. They were way louder, the 49er fans than the Rams fans were. Yes. And that had to be expected when you moved to L.A. because, well, they really aren't great fans. They like the Lakers. They do like the Lakers. They like the Dodgers. They like USC. Yeah. But I have to believe that most of the seats at SoFi Stadium that have been sold on a season ticket basis are sold to brokers. Probably. And by the way, Enos doesn't care. Kevin Nemoff doesn't care. They, they're just getting the money. They don't care that their team is overwhelmed. A good team playing at the end of the season headed for the playoffs. And their fans are overwhelmed by the opposition. Randy, we were talking about this before we went on air. You mentioned my favorite phrase is when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And Matthew Stafford is turning into Matthew Stafford again. And I have to wonder with the Rams if they face another early exit from the playoffs or if they don't if they don't at least reach the Super Bowl, which is what their goal their goal is to win. But I would imagine if you go to the Super Bowl and you don't win, at least you have some equity to your fan base or at least it proves that you're on the right path. But if the Rams go out, they acquire all of this star power, including Matthew Stafford, and they have an early punch out in the playoffs, which it looks like they very well could. Is it the personnel that you've put on the field or is it coaching? It might be a little bit of both, but I'm wondering who Sean McVay is at this point. He was somebody that obviously was the wonderkind. He went to the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Even his valet guy and his hairdresser were getting NFL jobs because they were somehow connected to him. Everybody wanted a piece of the Sean McVay magic. And now he looks like a good coach, not a great one. And I'm wondering how how good he really is. And that may be part of the process there. Number one, they've got a lot of really high-paid players and no draft picks, so they don't have a tremendous amount of depth. And they have an owner who is on record as saying, you don't get into this business to win trophies. So maybe even though this year, sure, they wanted to go all in because they wanted to play in a a Super Bowl in their own stadium, and they still might. But Yeah, they still might. That's a good point. I'm with you in that I I question whether or not McVay is the answer. That was, you talk about diminished. The 49ers have had unbelievable injury issues all year long, and Kyle Shanahan hammered the Rams in San Francisco and then was able to come back. The, the 49ers had been 1-89 and 89 in their last 90 games that they trailed by 17 points or more. And Sean McVay had been, McVay had been 45-0 and 0 at halftime. Both of those turned around yesterday. <laughs> that was a fun watch. It was. And so here's the playoff schedule for next week. Saturday, 3.30 St. Louis time, Raiders at Cincy. And then you've got a Saturday night game, Patriots at Buffalo. That'll be fun. A triple header on Sunday at noon, the Eagles at Tampa. The Niners are at Dallas. That'll be a fun game. And Pittsburgh is at Kansas City. And then the first ever Monday night playoff game, Arizona at the Rams at 7.15 St. Louis time on Monday night, January 17th. Let's go, Kyler. Go, Kyler.
Yeah, it's the, it's the St. Louis Bowl in the playoffs. And uh, congratulations to our Miami Dolphins, too. We're going to be getting into that at 730. Yeah. Big win for the Dolphins. And a big win for Mizzou. Congratulations to them. They beat Alabama this weekend. Big win for SLU, a game that they put together about 40 hours before they played it against Iona. Saturday night at Chaffetz Arena and the Billikens with one of those difference-making wins. If you're the committee, I think a win over Rick Pitino's Iona team is one that everything else being equal, you say, okay, that might propel them if they aren't their conference champion team into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, file that one away. Yeah, cross your fingers. Okay, we're off and running here on 101. Should we mention, by the way, right now what Andrew Marsh walked in wearing? If you have a phone or a computer or a tablet handy, you could always head to our socials because you need to see this. You need to get eyeballs on this. But go ahead, Randy, describe it. Uh, we'll let Andrew describe it and what his thought process was. Uh, yeah, I got the beachwear going right now. Couldn't not. Out of you. Excellent. Out of you. Excellent. Wear attire. that today after, of course, yesterday's game. I, that was an incredible game. The ending, I, and you can feel it. You could feel it coming mm-hmm. towards the end of that game or just throughout the whole third period. But I have to, I have a shout out to the guys. Yeah. So that's exactly what I brought today, the beachwear. Just to describe <laughs> it, and you can see it on uh, my social handle, M Smallman on Twitter. I'll post it on Instagram too. But he's got the blues t-shirt, backwards hat. We have a tropical, What I don't even know what you describe. It's got parrots. It's got it's Hawaiian uh, palm shirt. trees. Yeah, a Hawaiian shirt. We've got the shorts. We've got the slides. I mean, our guy is working it today. He brought full beachwear attire to character in Smallman. We got this little hat too. Oh, yeah, bucket hat. The he bucket said. hat. I just, I couldn't get my headphones around it so you gotta come prepared yeah proud of you andrew i appreciate it (laughs) coming up next on 101 espn start one bench one cut one with character and smallman we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Jericho and Smallman on 101 ESPN and time for, as the man with the deep voice said, start one, bench one, cut one. 65780 is our air comfort service text line. And Michelle, I will get things started here with the remaining quarterbacks that are in the playoffs that led the league in touchdown passes for this playoff season. I want you to start one, bench one, cut one from among Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I'm going to start Rodgers. Right now. Yeah, for the playoffs. I'm going to start Rodgers. I'm going to bench Brady. I'm going to cut Stafford. I'm doing the exact same thing. And I really like having home field in the playoffs. Yeah. Interesting that... uh, You know, I hate to bench Brady, but I can't not start Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And Justin Herbert, by the way, finished third. The way it went was Brady 43 touchdown passes, Stafford 41, Herbert 38, and then Rodgers 37. Dak Prescott had 37 as well. So of your top five guys, four were from the NFC. Wow, interesting. All right, Randy, I am going to give you teams from the NFC West that you're scared to face in the playoffs edition. Start one, bench one, cut one. The Rams, the Cardinals, the 49ers. You know, this could be a product of hatred but Very. just but try to put hatred aside and i know hate's a powerful drug it's a hell of a drug yeah but if you're an op, uh, an opposing team okay. 
What NFC team would you least like to face? NFC West team, excuse me, would you least like to face in the playoffs? The Rams, the Cardinals, or the 49ers? I'm starting the Niners because they will physically beat you up. Mm -hmm. They can run the ball and they can play defense. I am benching the Cardinals because Kyler Murray scares the daylights out of me. And by the way, they can get after the quarterback and play some defense too. And I am cutting the Rams. All due respect to what Aaron Donald does on the defensive side of the ball and Jalen Ramsey. But as we mentioned in our last segment, Matthew Stafford is still Matthew Stafford. And he's throwing interceptions. He's still four out of the last six. He's thrown a pick six. Huge interception to end the game yesterday. That's who he is. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to cut the Rams in terms of being afraid of them. I feel the same way. And how ironic is that? It's the inverse of the standings. Yeah. You would think the Rams would be the team that you were the most intimidated to face. And they're still a good team and they could still definitely beat the Cardinals and advance in the playoffs. But I think if I'm an NFC team and I'm watching the games yesterday and I'm waiting to see how the seeding plays out, I'm the least afraid of getting the, the draw that is the Rams. And if the Rams would beat the Cardinals and the other top seeds, the other division champs, Dallas and Tampa would win, then in the next round would be when the Rams would have to go to Green Bay. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, your tech 65780. Andrew, what do you got for us? Yes, from the 503, as a St. Louis and Pittsburgh sports fan, start one, bench one, cut one. The Blues-Stars game, the Steelers-Ravens game, and we'll throw in the Raiders-Chargers game. Okay. You want to go, Michelle? Uh, well, I'm starting the Blues game. As a, oh, but if it's you're a Pittsburgh fan? Both. You're a, you're a fan of both. A fan of both. Okay, well, I'm going to start the Blues game because that was unbelievable. I think I will bench Raiders Chargers and cut Steelers Ravens. I'm going to do that too because the Steelers Ravens game did not put me in the playoffs. The Raiders victory put me in the playoffs. So... Even though it is the playoffs, I don't feel like as a Steeler fan, I have a great chance in the no. playoffs. So I'm going to take the Blue Stars game because that was an epic regular season game. Raiders, Chargers, very exciting. And the end of it put me in the playoffs. And then Steelers, Ravens, which may have been the most unexciting overtime game of the entire season. <laughs> But it punched your ticket. It sure did. If you're a Steelers fan. Do you guys remember like the, the last like day of sports that was like, that exciting? That's a good question yeah. because it's been a minute. It was just the entire weekend really was awesome. Right. And when you combine the fact that fans were in the stands going crazy, whether it was at Enterprise Center or whether it was at SoFi or whether it was in Baltimore or last night in Vegas, the crowd was great. Having fans in the stands and a ton of exciting games the whole weekend. It was great. Isn't it so weird to think that not that long ago we had empty stadiums and cardboard yeah. cutouts and pumped in noise and how you cannot manufacture the energy of gathering and of people coming together and rooting for a common cause. It's just, you're right. The fans are everything. And it changes so much. I mean, we have Rams players playing a home game, talking about how difficult of an environment <laughs> it was to play in yesterday. It was Matthew Stafford that said yes, that. Yes, it was Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I liked it. But, but isn't that great? And it changes so much if you're a player. Yeah. Oh, man, changes everything. Yeah. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one, STL Actors Edition. Oh, I love this. Jenna Fisher, John Hamm, or John Goodman. Okay. Now, are we going people or are we going catalog here? Or whatever we want. The way whatever that I want. would look at it is who's a bigger STL sports fan? 
That's how I'm looking at okay, it. Okay, well, then John Ham's the winner. He Jenna starts. Fisher is getting benched. And sorry, John Goodman, if we're going actors, I would have put you at the top. But if we're going sports fans, the other two have been around a lot in, in recent memory. John Goodman shows up at Cardinal Games all the time. But, but I feel like when the Blues went on the run, John Hamm was kind of the face of that. He's at the Winter yeah. oh, Classic in some degree starter. attempts. And yeah. Jenna Fisher is always around. She's at Cardinals games. She was there. She went against her TV husband. Pam went against Jim to support the Blues in the Stanley Cup final versus the Bruins. I'm, I'm just saying. From a sports fan standpoint, I am going to start John Hamm. I'm actually going to bench John Goodman, and I'm going to cut Jenna. And I love Jenna. She's on St. Louis commercials. What if we're going strictly act? So is John Goodman. But if we're going strictly actors, I mean, Jenna Fisher was in the most iconic comedy series, perhaps mm-hmm. of all time. John Hamm is one of the most iconic television characters of all time, a great anti hero. And who's going to hold a candle to John Goodman's entire resume? Exactly. That, that's I mean, why that's a really difficult yeah. threesome to pick from. And, and I'm going to, and I know TV now is as big as movies are. Mm-hmm. And John Hamm had an incredible series. So did Jenna for a long time, but I'm going to go with John Goodman's movie resume. I think I'm with you. This is from the the 636. Not a start one, bench one, cut one. I just thought it was funny, but brought my kids to their first Blues game yesterday. Did we screw up? Not sure their expectations could be met again. That's a good point. Yeah. But you know what? They're probably fans for life. Right. And and I'm glad you they weren't saying in the with five minutes left, oh, they're never going to score. Let's leave. That's right. You gave your kids a very important lesson, and that's to never leave until the game is over. Hello, game six. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's the thing is their expectations will be met again. Just bring them to a playoff game. Yeah. If, if, if you bring the stakes. Yeah. Wow. Poor kids. <laughs> they, they aren't going to be great at school the next day. Yeah. Or will they be awesome? <laughs> because they're running on adrenaline. Oh, that might be. Enjoy. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. Coming up, it was the final week of the NFL season, week 18, and we've got four downs next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for Four Downs with Character and Smallman, and here we go. First down. Well, Michelle, the Indianapolis Colts had a stranglehold on a playoff spot with two games to go. All they needed to do was either beat the Raiders at home or go on the road and beat the Jaguars. But they lost to the Raiders last week, 23-20, and then visited the league-worst Jaguars, who, by the way, are going to have the first pick in the draft. Carson Wentz was terrible. He hadn't thrown a road interception all season long, threw a key one yesterday. The Colts still had a chance in this game, down 16-3 late in the third quarter, when their defense didn't step up against Trevor Lawrence. Third and goal, high snap. Lawrence pulled it down and throws to the end zone to Marvin Jones, and he comes down, feet inbounds, he did. And the Jaguars win it 26 to 11. Frank Reich, Colts head coach. What the what? <laughs> Never expect to be sitting here, you know, having this having this moment right now. Not like this. You know, we had a good week of practice. We had good preparation all week long. Um, felt good energy the whole week, every day, every meeting. Um, felt like we had three good plans. Felt like the players were dialed in. And, um, and, and we just didn't get it done today. 
you know, we just didn't get it done, coaching or playing. I give a lot of credit to Jacksonville, a lot of credit to that football team. I mean, we knew. That's not a surprise, that's not a surprise that we got their A game. That is not a surprise. So you had two opportunities, though, not just yesterday, but you had the Raider game last week at home, too. So what, 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 what happened? You know, I don't know. That's what, we, what I just said in the locker room was, you know, I don't have that answer right now. You know, I don't have that answer right now. Got to, re, got to reflect on that. Um, you know, what, what I said in there was, you know, just learn and grow from. It was out we put. We started the way we started. It was out of our hands. We fought and scratched and clawed to get it back in our hands. And then the last two weeks of the season, we did what we did. And so it starts with me as the head coach. And, you know, we got we to gotta figure out how we can close this season out the right way. Um, how we can coach better, how we can play better. Uh, you know, we had the opportunity. We had control of our own destiny, and we just didn't get it done. Carson Wentz, a 74.6 passer rating yesterday, a 4.4 QBR. And, my man, you have been labeled. It sucks, honestly. Um, you know, walking off kind of in disbelief. Uh, just, you know, it's hard to fully reflect on everything. Uh, right now it all happened so fast. But just even thinking back just to where we came from, dug ourselves out of a hole, you know, we're in control of our destiny. And then the last two weeks uh, just, didn't, just didn't get it done. And it, it hurts right now. A lot of uh, reflection to come over the next handful of days, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's not a good feeling right now. Randy, you thought that the Colts were going to be a dangerous playoff team. And what did I keep telling you? If it comes down to Carson Wentz and we have to trust him, I cannot trust him. It's a team game and it's a team blame game in these two losses for the reasons why the Colts aren't going to the playoffs. But that Carson Wentz interception was key. He had Mm -hmm. done a very good job the majority of the season. But when it came down to it, exactly what I thought would happen, happened. I cannot trust Carson Wentz. Therefore, I cannot believe in the Indianapolis Colts. And I am amazed that their defense didn't show up. Buckner, Leonard, uh, their defensive backfield, the corners, they just didn't show up. And, and I get that Trevor Lawrence is a talented guy, but Jacksonville, they, they earned that first pick in the draft this year. Congratulations and kudos to them. And unfortunately, the Colts earned a spot on their couch. Yes, they For the did. next few weeks. Second down. For the last time this season, unfortunately. So we're not talking Super Bowl, and we're not talking playoffs, but we are talking a big win to close out the season for our Miami Dolphins, Randy. It was a roller coaster season for us as newly minted Dolphins fans. Our team started 1-7, but with a 33-24 victory over the Patriots yesterday, the Finns won eight of their last nine games, and they finished this season 9-8. and eight. So we're heading into the offseason. We're happy. We're in a good mood, and we're filled with a lot of hope. And the game yesterday was a little bit of a microcosm of the reasons why we feel hopeful heading into next season. Jalen Waddle, we feel great about Jalen Waddle. He broke the NFL rookie record for receptions. Anquan Bolton actually held that record since 2003, but he finishes with 104 catches, 1,015 yards, and six touchdowns. We're feeling pretty good about Tua. He had a big first down at the end of the game yesterday. He's improved throughout the season. I think just the Tua us, we can we can mm-hmm. say he's our quarterback, right? We feel at least better. My quarterback. Better about Tua than we did to start the season. 
That's for sure. We feel good about the defense. Xavier Howard returned an interception for a touchdown yesterday. And most importantly, we're feeling good about our coach. B-Flow turned this season around, and he knows how to beat Bill Belichick. He can beat one of, if the if not the best football mind that we've seen in, in the modern-day game. He improves to 4-2 and two in his career against Bill. When including the playoffs, he has the best record of any coach against the Belichick-era Patriots since 2000. So even though the Dolphins finished with a, w- a winning record for the second consecutive season, and once again, we're not going to the playoffs, we feel good. Michelle, I'm in total buy-in mode, and I agree with everything that you say. But does Stephen Ross agree with us about being all in on B-Flow? I don't know how he cannot. And I don't know if Stephen Ross has the foresight to do this, but just go down in the locker room and talk to your players. Mm-hmm. Ask them how they feel about Brian Flores. Do they want to play for this guy? Because I promise you they do. Report over the weekend that Michigan grad and Dolphins owner Stephen Ross is interested in Jim Harbaugh. So that's a situation to keep an eye on. Third down. Michelle, our friends, the Arizona Cardinals were 10 and 2. And they lost four of their last five to finish 11-7 and seven and still make the playoffs. And now they're going to travel to L.A. in SoFi Stadium for their playoff opener one week from tonight. It's the St. Louis Bowl in the playoffs. <laughs> the Cardinals and the Rams spent 49 years combined here in St. Louis and combined to make eight playoff appearances. They had a winning percentage right around 440. And this will be the first time they've been in the playoffs since 1975 when L.A., the Rams, eliminated St. Louis, the Cardinals. The Rams, four-and-a-half-point favorites on the early line. And somebody, either Kyler Murray or Matthew Stafford, is going to win a playoff game. I like the Cardinals. They can run on the Rams' defense like we saw the 49ers do yesterday. They can find a way to get to Matthew Stafford. And I believe... I believe that that home field advantage that the Rams have experienced like yesterday. Oh, okay. I I believe that the Cardinals are able to take advantage of that. You sold me, Randy. You got my vote. That sounded like your political campaign speech, and I'm in. That's all I need. I love that dig at the home field advantage because I've got a little something in my neck down, too, about that. Fourth down. So as Randy just mentioned, a big one at SoFi Stadium yesterday, the Rams and 49ers with implications on the line for both teams. If San Francisco wins, they punch their ticket to the playoffs. The Rams were fighting for the second seed in the NFC, and it was all Rams in the first half. L.A. dominated possession. They were leading 17-0. And before yesterday, Sean McVay was 45-0 and in his NFL career while leading at the half. So if you were cheering for the Rams, and I don't know why you would be, you probably <laughs> felt pretty confident. But Jimmy G and the 49ers rallied with 27 seconds 26 seconds left in regulation Garoppolo to Jennings a phrase we heard a lot yesterday 14 yard touchdown to tie it Jennings caught six passes for 94 yards and two touchdowns and the 49ers ended up going to overtime they clinch a playoff spot with a 27 24 overtime victory over the LA Rams who did in fact win the NFC West so you lose the game you're dropping in seedings but you clinched the NFC West yesterday but this March the sixth straight victory for the 49ers over the Rams it's the longest winning streak in that rivalry since the 90s. Kyle Shanahan owning the Rams. It also knocked the Rams down from that number two seed into the number four seed in the NFC. And I want to give a special shout out, a special shout out to the the Italian Stallion, Randy. He takes a lot of heat, but he won a huge game on the road. Or was it on the road? I don't know. Didn't sound like (laughs) it for his team, but he played through that injured right thumb and Garoppolo improving to 6-0 against the Rams as well. San Francisco gets the sixth seed. They're going to play at Dallas next week. And the fourth 
fourth-seeded Rams are hosting the Cardinals in the first playoff game in SoFi Stadium history. Can't wait for that to be an L. Put it in the record books. It's going to be fantastic. And yesterday, after the game, Matthew Stafford said this, quote, It was a tough environment for us to communicate in, really, the entire second half. And the Rams were at home. You know who didn't have a problem with it? Jimmy. No, nah, Jimmy G was just fine. And I, I'm going to note this again. The, the 49ers averaged 4.4 yards per rush. Elijah Mitchell, 21 for 85. Debo, 8 for 45, averaging 5.6. And yes, the Rams defense was pretty good in the first half. But as the game went on, the 49ers missing their left tackle, Trent Williams, they pounded on that Rams defense. And that's their vulnerability, is that they are not a huge, stout defense. Even Aaron Donald, as great as he is, did you hear his name much in the second half? No, because physically, they just pounded him down. And I would have to think that that's what Arizona will try to do, too. They have four hands on Donald, essentially, the entire yeah, time. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, smart strategy. <laughs> and you know what, Randy? This is a conversation for later in the week, maybe even the, the week following. The 49ers are a dangerous team heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If they make a run, what do you do with Jimmy G? That's a great question. I think we have to have that conversation. You know, there's a lot There's a lot to that. But Trey Lance yep. was drafted to be the future. But here comes Jimmy G, busted thumb and hey. all, getting them a huge win and potentially making a playoff run. And I'm telling you, if I'm Super Bowl. a Steeler fan watching the late game yesterday after watching Ben play his last game in the regular season for the Steelers, he's a, an Eastern Illinois guy. Mm-hmm. He grew up in weather similar to what Pittsburgh offers. Chicago hey. suburbs, yeah. Yeah, so... Jimmy G with the Steelers would be a perfect fit. Interesting. A perfect fit. Mm. Those are four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle and Randy and Andrew on 101 ESPN. Michelle, yesterday, as Buffalo played the Jets, Stephon Diggs wore cleats with a likeness of Betty White. And on his other cleat, it said, thank you for being a friend. Love it. Yeah, take it or leave it. That kind of makes you want to root for Buffalo a little bit. Shout out, Diggs. Shout yeah. out to the late, great Betty White. I think that is amazing. And yes, I will take it. We're cheering for them. Did you see the meme, by the way, of... Uh, oh, no. Yeah. What? Uh, so... I don't know where you're going with this, Randy, and it makes me nervous. Oh, it's it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. But we're talking death, so... Well, kind of, yeah. So it's a photo of... No, it's not kind of. She indeed did pass. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Well, she's not going to hear this then. So <laughs> it's a photo of Mike Jones and Kevin Dyson and the end zone back in Super Bowl 34. And Ke- <laughs> Andrew is saying, oh, Mike, man, Michael Jones is labeled as God. Kevin Dyson is labeled as Betty White with the ball one half yard short of the end zone. And the end zone is labeled as 100 years old. She was pretty close. Yeah, she very close. Almost made it. So just like Dyson. Clever. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. She's going to haunt you, Randy. No, she likes that kind of stuff. She knew that she was in the Deadpool. 
The Deadpool. Yeah, be, be, who's the next uh, celebrity that dies? Betty White was, has been on that list for 10 years. She knew that. They do come in threes, so we have Bob Saget passed away. So sad, R.I.P. Yeah, but she, she was last year. That's true. A couple weeks ago, though. Yeah. I mean, it's only January 10th. So. It's 11 days. Yeah. That's, that's, threes Pretty are fun. like within three days or something. Sidney uh, Portier died too. Yeah, what a classy guy he was. But I mean, is that One the three? Phase. Yeah, probably. You know what I'm saying? So we're all good for the moment. Yeah, phew. Deep breath. But RIP to those that we've yeah. lost. Mm-hmm. Sad. Um, <laughs> by the way, if... if a ghost was going to haunt you. Betty White would be a pretty good ghost That'd to have. That'd be fun, yeah. She she's right. all about being she's a friend, funny. funny. Yeah. I imagine she would, you know, play some pranks on you. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, that Betty. <laughs> anyway, Randy, the Detroit Lions beat the Green Bay Packers in the season finale yesterday, thirty-seven to thirty, and it was a diminished Packers team in the second half that they beat. But they emptied the playbook. Okay, they were running trick plays. They they played to the very last whistle and ended up winning that game. I absolutely loved the fight out of the Lions team to win that game. Now, because the Jags upset the Indianapolis Colts, the number one overall pick was on the board there for the Lions, but they secure the number two pick in the NFL draft with their victory over the Packers. Take it or leave it. You like this Lions team more that they were more concerned with the victory than they were the draft pick. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Now, they really, you mentioned the trick plays. They weren't playing uh, bite off a kneecap type football. I would think that if somebody ran the plays that, against Dan Campbell that he ran against the Packers, he'd be furious. You know, all, uh, all he could do is trick us. But they won the game, and I think it's cool that they did empty the playbook yesterday. But maybe you're taking a bite off the old mental kneecap, you know? You're, you're tricking some guys, so you got to play chestnut checkers. Can't win Super Bowls that way. But that's, but that's... You got to bite kneecaps if you want to win Super Bowls. But if you're a team that you definitely know is not going to the playoffs and definitely not going to the Super Bowl, what a better way to not only get your team galvanized heading mm-hmm. into the offseason, but your fan base something to cheer about than beating the Packers, regardless of who's out on the field in the second half. That's something, at least if you're a Lions fan, you can head into this offseason knowing you've got the number two overall pick saying, you know, this team's a team that fights. Dan Campbell's got this team rallying well, around them. We can at least have some hope in the future. I can retire my paper bag. Here's the thing. I've always thought this. If I'm a player on a bad team, I don't want to have high draft choice coming in and taking my job. I'm going to try to win. Yeah. <laughs> I want the player to be lesser that they draft. For sure. But if you're Dan but, Campbell, you're thinking number yeah, one overall pick. Yeah, <laughs> and it might be Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan right down the street. Yeah. But yeah, end of the day, as a fan, I'm happy. As a coach, I'm happy. As a player, I'm happy. And as an outsider, I, I respect the fact that they were trying at, at the end. All right, what do we have on the text line, Andrew? By the way, we didn't mention John Madden. Oh. He should have been number one. Oh, that's true, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So now we do have our three. That's our three, yeah. Yeah. John Madden. How can we forget John Madden? That's take sad. He's kind of in his own tier, though. I was just you know? going to say. Yeah. Had a good run, too. 85. If I have a run of 85 years. Well, you know, I guess we were, even though John Madden, of course, is in the entertainment world, he was a broadcaster, mm-hmm. he has been in films, he is obviously the face of one of the most popular games of all time. He transcends a lot of different categories. I was thinking of him in the sports category. When we're talking about Betty White, mm-hmm. Bob Sagnet, et cetera, I'm thinking strictly entertainment. Whereas John like Madden, actors, you're, you're right, is, is, he's in his own tier. So, no disrespect, John. All right. From the 618, take it or leave it. The hockey gods made right from the missed calls from the Pittsburgh game versus the Dallas game. 
Uh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that too. Yeah, you got to take advantage of the missed calls too. You do, uh, they can complain. Rick Bonus can complain all he wants, but still, you have to play the game, and you still have to. If you're going to win, keep the puck out of the net. Those right? hockey gods, so squirrely. They are. You never know what to expect from them. Jeez. They're kind of like officials. <laughs> <laughs> From the 636, take it or leave it. The Blues should go with a timeshare at goalie. I'm going to leave that. I'll leave it too. But shout out to Vili Huso for I your performance on, yep. on Friday. And Chucky Sideburns too. We I like them all. Can't disrespect him. Absolutely. From the 314, I actually really like this idea. Take it or leave it. When it comes to MVP voting, there should be no names, just stats, and voters pick the best stats to unveil the name when they win. Ooh, a blind taste test? I kind of like that. I'm going to leave it because... Because stats don't tell the whole story. Right. That's the kind of thing that would would keep Yachty out of the Hall of Fame. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And when you watch, you know. But if you don't watch, you don't know. But it would take away some biases that exist, as we saw this past week with Aaron Rodgers, with Hub Arkish saying, I don't think he's a good guy, so he's not going to get my vote. And I know he apologized, but I do think that that brings up an important point that a lot of these people are voting for players that they have personal biases against for one reason or another. But I think that's another perfect example because if you watch Rodgers and you watch Brady, you you look at the stats and you say, oh, Brady's the MVP. But then you watch Rodgers play and you say, he's the reason that their offense is good. Yeah. Do you put that the toe in with the stats too, playing through an an entry? Is that something that goes on on the stat sheet? If If you're blind taste testing MVP votes, I don't know. From the 314, take it or leave it. There is no difference between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff on this Rams team. Well, uh, I'm going to leave that. I mean, because Goff has been in a Super Bowl. I was just going to say, Jared Goff did go to a Super Bowl. <laughs> but come on, and we would take Matthew Stafford over Jared. Matthew Goff. Stafford has a much bigger arm than, than Goff, who, by the way, in the second half of the season did not look terrible. Which, for a first pick in the draft, you'd hope that he'd look better than not terrible, but he didn't look terrible. But Matthew Stafford at times has looked terrible. Yeah, he has. Four pick sixes. But still, I'd take him over Jared Goff. Let's not yeah, play I ourselves. Think I would too. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. Coming up next on 101 ESPN tonight, we haven't even mentioned this. We've got the college football championship game. It's Georgia and Alabama. What are, what are some of our favorite all-time and your favorite all-time college football championship memories? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince Young scores. As we said, Keith, you can have the perfect defense called. You can force him out of the pocket, but you're not going to beat him. Invincible. 
that one of the extremely memorable national championship football games tonight. You've got Alabama and Georgia pregame at 6 here on 101 ESPN from Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. It's 8.05. It's Randy and Michelle. And your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, that was the 2005 championship game. The game took place January 4th of 2006. And what a game it was as... Texas beat USC 41 to 38. And that's one of my all-time great memories of the championship game, which rarely disappoints. That's one great thing about college football is that since the advent of the BCS and now the college football playoff, the championship game is usually pretty competitive. That one greatest of all time, though. I mean, that was one of those I'll never forget where I was where I was watching this game and watching Texas USC, two of the big powers in college football. Vince Young having his moment. I mean, that was an unbelievable game. And do you remember because you were in school at the time, right? So leading up to this, for a week or maybe two, ESPN every single day was spending a large portion of SportsCenter talking about how USC was the greatest team of all time. Mm -hmm. And now you get into this game and Vince Young basically by himself owns them. And that was the Lendale White and Reggie Bush and Matt Liner team. They were loaded and they wound up not being the greatest team of all time can't be considered the greatest if you don't win the chip right exactly you have to and we've had some really good ones the last bcs game remember Jameis led florida state back against auburn in the final minute they scored in the final 30 seconds touchdown pass to kelvin benjamin to beat auburn in a really close game and then you were at a great one too yeah one of the great sports moments of my life when i was working at espn we went on a fall football tour that ended with us at the national championship game 2017 in tampa it was clemson alabama and this one was back and forth, Randy. But with two minutes left, you may remember Jalen Hurts goes on a 30-yard run for a touchdown, giving Clemson the ball back. And at the time, Alabama is leading 31-28. So Clemson gets the ball back. Deshaun Watson leads them down the field. And with a second left, he throws a touchdown pass to Hunter Renfro right in the right corner of the end zone, which is exactly where my Rosillo and Canal crew was standing. That's very cool. And I will never forget, because there were so many Clemson fans there. The way that that place exploded, you felt like an earthquake. But Clemson goes on to win that game 35-31. That was an epic game to be a part of. Are you one of the people that's tired of Alabama being in this all the time? Kind of. I go back and forth with this because I would like there to be more parity in college football. I would like for there to be more teams that actually have a chance to win. I think it would make it more entertaining. But I also love greatness, and I love witness, witnessing greatness mm-hmm. in real time. And when Nick Saban finally does walk away from college football, I don't know if we're ever going to see this again. And I I also am of the mindset that I need to savor it while mm-hmm. I have it because this is going to be something 20 years from now that we look back on. Like, can you believe what he was able to do? Of all of the games that they've been in, in the college football playoff, this is post-BCS. They didn't play in the first one. That was the Cardale Jones-Ohio State team that beat Oregon 42-20. to Then Alabama beats Clemson 45-40. Then Clemson, the game that Michelle's talking about, beats Alabama 35-31. And then Alabama beat Georgia 26-23, and we'll get back to that in a second. Alabama losing to Clemson a couple of years ago, 44-16. They didn't make the championship game. The Crimson Tide didn't two years ago when LSU beat Clemson. And then last year, Alabama dismantles Ohio State 52-24. I think of all of these college football playoffs, the one that 
took me aback the most was when Saban took Jalen Hurts out at halftime and put Tua, the freshman, into the game. And the way that everyone handled the situation. Yeah. How Tua and Jalen were both so gracious about it and listening to them talk about how happy they were for, for one another and going to get the, the championship to going on to win. But, yeah, that was a, a shocking moment that you'll never forget. And, and what a bold move by Nick Saban. Even though it kind of had to be done, I don't know if a lot of coaches still would have felt as comfortable going with the unknown factor, even despite the performance of their quarterback at the time. I would not have done it. And they, I would have not won the game either, but <laughs> I I was stunned that Saban, who's, who was, he's as old school as it got, and he's completely changed his offensive approach now. He, he was one of the last, one of the dinosaurs that ran the ball and stopped the run, and now every quarterback he has is throwing 60 touchdown passes. Are you sick of Nick Saban in Alabama always being there? Yeah, I kind of am, but I under I, I also I appreciate the greatness of that program, and so I I'm not going to begrudge Alabama fans, but I do think that it'd be good for college football to have somebody else in the game. And you know what? Even like the SEC, the the SEC is get, and and I'm Mizzou's in the SEC. It's getting old to have the SEC in this game every year. It really is to have it be an SEC championship game, yeah. part two, all the time. But even look at Clemson, who Dabo has done unbelievable things there, won a couple championships of his own, is the biggest contender to the throne as far as Saban. Even he can't maintain it as consistently as Alabama has mm-hmm. been able to, which just shows you how great Nick Saban is that the person who's right there with him, or at least in the conversation with him for the person that you thought could maybe get there or supersede him, can't do it as well as saving can and now kirby smart would like to get into that conversation too and georgia is despite losing in the sec championship game a two and a half point favorite tonight i i'm still going to go with alabama i'm going to go with saban against his assistants the first time he ever lost to one of his assistants was against jimbo fisher this year otherwise he's i, I believe 15 and 0 against in the other games against his own assistants and I have a feeling that Alabama will find a way to come away with a victory tonight. Especially with the familiarity factor, having played them, having have had time to to process mm-hmm. the game and give Saban that much time to develop a game plan to beat you. I, I like Alabama's chances as well. That's today's Fresh Take. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. What a weekend for the Blues. We're going to talk to Chris Kerber about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. On this Black Monday, the Minnesota Vikings have fired their head coach, Mike Zimmer, and their general manager, Rick Spielman. More about that coming up later in the show. But right now, we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. What a weekend for your St. Louis Blues. A win over Washington and then a win yesterday. Dramatic win over the Dallas Stars. And the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us here on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Kerbs, it was good to hear your voice again yesterday. Welcome back into the Blues booth. How are you doing? Randy, doing well. Things are good. Uh, hey, before we get into the hockey game, here's a football question for you. 
Did did we witness this weekend maybe some of the most uh, end-to-end inept coaching in NFL history over one weekend? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. From, from, uh, from what the New York Giants did, you know, back in their own end towards the end of the second half, but, and, and a coach just given up to watching the Denver Broncos, what, uh, decide not to go for it with four minutes to go in the mm-hmm. game to even last night watching that game, and you're sitting there going, you need to just put a drive together to win the game, and you decide you're going to bring in um, Marcus Mariota and try to run a couple of trick plays and stuff like that. Like, what the hell is going on? Well, Curbs, you know. the ball up the middle and, and then pass it. <laughs> Shouldn't be that hard. Well, Curbs, you know it's a good game for the Blues when the opposing coach is slamming sticks into the wall. What did you think of the finish for the Blues yesterday? Yeah, you know what? That one uh... – yeah, that one's pulling one out of the fire, and and you're going to find ways to win some games, and 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 that was one where the Dallas Stars I thought played about as perfect a road game as, as they were going to have to play, and the Blues finally took advantage of uh, of some special teams. So special teams won them that game. Uh, Jordan Bennington won them that game, uh, and you know what? It was just one of those you had to continue to battle through the end. And when you look at this hockey team, top to finish, Michelle, uh, I mean it, they're top to bottom. It's just. They're in every game. I mean, I keep throwing those stats around, but they're in every single team. Even games where, you know, they didn't have a great second period. It's only the second time in 16 games that the other team has scored more goals in the second period than the Blues. First time in 16 games, the Blues have not scored a goal in the second period, you know, and they still ended the third period just down by one. The one thing that this team has shown is they're never out of it going into the third. And if that's the case, you give yourself a chance to win every time. And Curbs, the other cool thing, and we saw it in the final minute yesterday, we saw it with the Barbashev goal on Friday. This team never stops playing. And that has been over the course of maybe a decade. One of the issues that I've had with the Blues is there was a stretch there where they always seem to allow goals in the last 30 seconds, last minute of a period. And now they're the team that's scoring those goals and never quit competing. Competing. Yeah, you know, we had a game earlier this year where, um, uh, who was it? Was it Colorado? I'm going to blank off of just pulling this one off the top of my head, where a goal was scored, I think, by Colorado, like inside the final two or three seconds. And, and that was the wake-up call that you, you've got to go all the way through to the end. And that includes saves, by the way, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you've just got to kind of battle through. And that's the one thing that this team has done, has continued to battle through. And you know, they, they took advantage of, of, of a good situation with the power plays that they had last night, but they started coming. And you could feel them coming in that third period, you know, and, and you're just sitting there going, okay, this is a really good period of hockey, but you hope it doesn't come too late on the heels of what was not a good second period, and they were able to pull it out. But, hey, listen, isn't that one of the coolest things in sports, though? So, you know, we were just talking about some of the stuff we saw in football yesterday, but look, look at – Anybody that watched the Blues game, or was at the Blues game, or listened to the Blues game, you saw something that in the 50-year history of this franchise had never happened before. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that, that's what makes sports so darn cool is from one game to the next, you just never know what you might see. We talked about that to open the show, Curbs, how amazing it is that you could watch Blues hockey every game your entire life and turn on and listen to the game or watch the game and see something brand new. It really is awesome. Yeah, no, it is It is. It is cool. And it's one of the things that this team has with the depth. I'm still curious moving forward how this group is going to shake out. Because even Craig Berube had said about a week, week and a half ago, somewhere in there, that even the team that they're putting on the ice now, 
that's different than the team that was there a few weeks ago when they rattled off those, those five wins with Charlie Lindgren. Um, and how they're going to adjust. Like, even the way that this team is going to play now with this roster set is different than the way they had to play with that roster. And, and, and even though there's going to be some stylistic things that need to be the same, you're going to play different just because you have more skill in the lineup. And how this shakes out still remains to be seen. But there's a couple of huge wins there. I mean, that first off, you know, you, you, go, you go to the win over Washington, an enormous response after the loss to Pittsburgh. But then this one, you know, the Dallas Stars – could have pulled to within seven points with four games in hand and to manage to get out of that game and not let them get any points is just absolutely huge I mean I I continue to look at the standings and you've got to be careful now because of COVID that the standings are a little skewed Uh, it's a little bit of a false front because of the games in hand situations that some teams have on others like Colorado still with like four or five games in hand on the Blues just three points back but having said that it's amazing to me that you could go on a stretch where you've only lost in regulation three times in 16 games and you feel like you're in an absolute dogfight for the playoffs and it's only game number 36. Another stat, Curbs, that I love that pops out at me is that the Blues extend their ice point streak at home to 12 games. You have to love that they're handling their business at Enterprise Center as well. That was a focus, I think, for this hockey team right from the start. It's something over the first you know, a few years with Craig Berube that uh, you looked at, and, and they've been so good on the road, so much better on the road than it seems at home. And that, that tide seems to have flipped this season, which is good. They, they wanted to do a better job on home ice. They wanted to do a better job at the second period. And, and that has been ringing true. And, but you have to, I mean, it, could it be as simple as just the, the special teams being that big of a difference maker when you've got both special teams in, 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 in the top 10 and you're consistently making teams pay? for putting you, uh, you know, on the power play, it, it might be. But without a doubt, uh, that, that's a, obviously the biggest reason the Blues are where they are right now. Curbs, a couple of more things for me. Number one, it's been a long time, and we've talked a lot about the balance the Blues have. But when you talk about them having guys to add to Tarasenko, when Kairou has 14 goals and Buchnevich has 13 and Barbashev has emerged into that guy, we kind of thought he would be when he was with the Chicago Wolves, and he's got 13 goals. The Blues have a lot of people that are capable of putting the puck in the net, which hasn't always been the case. Well, and I mean, that's the amazing thing. They went into that game yesterday, and I don't know if these numbers have changed after the full slate of games yesterday, but they went into that game yesterday with the second most points of any team in the National Hockey League from forwards. And they had the most assists from forwards of any team in the National Hockey League. Now, the, the team that's number one in those categories is the Florida Panthers. So, if I sit here, Randy, and tell you that stat and say it's the St. Louis Blues and the Florida Panthers, most people are probably going, there's no way, because you don't have a Nathan McKinnon. You don't have an Austin Matthews. You don't have a Sidney Crosby. You don't have the Alex Ovechkin. You know, but but these two teams are just very deep, good teams. I mean, when you're talking about even, you know, and I know they, the, the offense hasn't been there of late with these three guys, but you know, Logan Brown has the ability to score. Mm-hmm. Clint Costin hasn't scored in 20 games, but he'll shoot the puck. Tyler Bozak's a veteran player in the league. That's your fourth line. Oscar Sundquist and David Perron, along with Brandon Saad, was your third line yesterday. I mean, it just creates matchup problems up and down the lineup. And, and when you have that, you've just got depth that makes it very hard to defend. It shows that you don't need that off-the-chart superstar to win in the National Hockey League if you've got a team that's built with that kind of depth because you just continue to come wave after wave after wave. Now, five-on-five five is such a big part of the Blues game because 
eventually that wave after wave starts to wear down another team. And then when they do give you a power play, you burn them. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. And uh, that depth is, is really something where you consider that the Blues, again, as I said, have more points from their forwards than every other team in the league but one. And finally, Curbs, the Seattle Kraken will make their first ever visit to St. Louis on Thursday night. And we talk about Blues forward scoring. I wonder if there's any regret on the part of the Kraken that they didn't take Vladimir Tarasenko. Oh, that you know what? I wonder, uh, Randy, I wonder if there's any regret from the Seattle Kraken that they didn't take several other players. Mm -hmm. You you know, considering they they were not going to get the haul that the Las Vegas Golden Knights did. Because the general managers learned their lesson over those four years. They, they learned their lesson to not just give a slew of draft picks or trade other good players because you want to keep one player, that kind of thing. They, they learned not to do that. And so that made it harder. And, and there was, I, don't, I didn't think there was any way that the Seattle Kraken were going to come out of this expansion draft the same way that Vegas did. Having said that, I thought they could come out of this expansion draft better. And, and they, they went for more middle-of-the-road kind of players, just kind of looking for a balance top to bottom. And it just hasn't come together and hasn't been as good as, as it could be. And I do wonder if there's a bit of a missed opportunity. And I have to go back and study that expansion draft a little bit more again. But, you know, the reality of it is they've only got the 10 wins. They're coming in, uh, you, know, with, uh, you know, with a little bit banged up. Obviously, we won't see James Schwartz. But, yeah, you had an opportunity to take Vladimir Tarasenko. You have plenty of cap space to do it. They didn't do it. They didn't take some other players as well. And they're struggling this season as a result of it. I, I thought that this team could have been better and had a chance Me to too. be better had they picked a little better. Hey, Curbs, uh, last week when we talked to you, you'd tested positive for COVID. You missed a couple of games. John Kelly did one. Timmy Woodburn did a game on uh, Friday night against Washington. How are you feeling? Man, I'm feeling great, Randy. I had, uh, I had no symptoms all week. I, I was asymptomatic, but, you know, there's there's rainbows on everything. Uh, two of my daughters ended up testing positive uh, as well, and they had some symptoms, and they had fevers that were, you know, upwards of close to 104. I mean, you, you know that that gets serious when that's the case, and some sore throats. So uh, it was good to, to feel good, actually, and just be able to be dad and take care of them. So everything is good. Everybody is good. Uh, you know, they're back. Everybody's asymptomatic again, and, you know, big thanks to John and Tim for filling in. I, I thought I don't know if you caught any of Tim's games. Tim and I did games in the minor leagues all those years ago. He was with uh, he was in Birmingham for a while, then Roanoke, and then long time with the Kentucky Thoroughblades. And we'd catch up and share some beers after some games, Randy. But he had one of the I, I thought his line was great at one point in time during that broadcast because uh, he hadn't done a game in something like ten or ten or eleven, twelve years or mm-hmm. something like that. And he goes, man, the last time I did a game, that would have been a two line pass. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> that was just a, a fantastic line to throw in there. So big thanks to Tim. Yeah, great job by him, and it, it was good to hear his voice. Curbs, glad you're feeling good. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll be back at it Thursday night for the Blues and the Kraken. Take care. All right, have an awesome week, you two. You Thank too. You. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. 
Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.37 in St. Louis on this Monday. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Randy Ander, I believe, with a clean sweep of his first week of fights in 2022, correct? Yeah, he's 4-0, and so we didn't have Monday to work with, so... No 5-0, and but 4-0 and to start off the 2022 campaign. Okay, Randy off to a 4-0 and start, but he's got to get through Anthony today. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you doing? We're doing great now. Even though we just gave you the stat that Randy is undefeated to start 2022, I have a little piece of information that might help you out from a competitive standpoint. Our Miami Dolphins, the character and Smallman team of choice, just fired their head coach, Brian Flores. Randy and I both shocked so he might be off his game a little bit this morning. So do with that what you will. Any, any little bit of help helps. That's right. All right, Anthony, here we go. Question number one. The Bears defeated what team in the Fog Bowl in the 1988 season playoffs? Was it the 49ers, the Rams, or the Bears? 49ers. Hold on. Go ahead. Not Bears, Eagles. Oh, okay. So 49ers, Rams, or Eagles. I will run Burgundy anything. So is it the 49ers, the Rams, or the Eagles? I'll go 49ers. Okay. All right, question number two. <laughs> Who was the first player in history to hit 50 home runs in four consecutive seasons? Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, or Hank Aaron? Hank Aaron. Question number three for Anthony. What actor sitting in the crowd did Joe Montana point out to his teammates before his game-winning drive to win Super Bowl 23? Was it Tom Hanks, John Candy, or Danny DeVito? Love his work. John Candy. All right, last question. Mario Lemieux is known for his great play on the ice along with his old-school-style hockey helmets. Which brand of hockey helmet did Mario Lemieux wear on his return to the NHL in December 2000? Was it Nike, Adidas, or CCM? CCM. All right, we're checking Anthony's score here. Yep, got it. Uh, Randy, buried in his phone, getting the latest on Brian Flores in our Miami Dolphins situation. Randy, come on in. Once you get settled here, I know you're shaking a little bit because of the news that's just dropped. Yeah. Say that again, Randy. Your mic's on. I'm shook up. I can't believe that uh, Stephen Ross would. Well, I can't. He's an idiot. <laughs> we'll say good morning to Anthony. Anthony, good morning. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Randy? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one. The Bears defeated what team in the Fog Bowl and the 1998 season playoffs? Uh, I couldn't see, Michelle. It was too foggy. It was the Philadelphia Eagles. Good one. Good Thanks. joke, Randy. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Randy, who was the first player in history to hit 50 home runs in four consecutive seasons? 50 home runs in four consecutive seasons. Well, let's see. Uh, you had McGuire do it in, and it might have been Mark McGuire, because he did it in 97, 98, 99. And did he do it in 2000? I don't know if he got to 50. Sammy may have been the guy. Um, I don't think any any guys before that. Maybe Hank Greenberg. You know, uh, 
uh, Henry Aaron never hit 50 home runs in a season. Isn't that amazing? Um, it is. And I, I don't think the babe did. Well, let's see. I don't think the babe did. I am going to go out on a limb here. And I am going to go with Sammy Sosa. What actor sitting in the crowd did Joe Montana point out to his teammates before his game-winning drive to win Super Bowl 23? Hey, guys, here's John Candy. Last question, Randy. Mario Lemieux is known for his great play on the ice along with his old-school-style hockey helmets. Which brand of hockey helmet did Mario Lemieux wear on his return to the NHL in December of 2000? One of those, uh, like, half-rounded ones. I'll do the lifeline here, Andrew. (laughs) Okay, so we have Nike, Adidas... CCM. Okay, CCM would be too easy because everybody wore CCM. It was a goofy looking thing, and I, I'm gonna go because, well, I, I'm gonna say that at that time when he returned, that he was probably a Nike guy, and they probably wanted him. So I am going to go with Nike. Randy, you were four and zero last week. Mm. Clean start to the year. Did Anthony stop that? Andrew, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Sorry, Anthony. Randy beat you 3-1. to one. Hmm. Not even the firing of his head coach can shake Megamind. <sighs> I'm shaking up, though. But not mentally. Maybe emotionally. But yeah. mentally, you're locked in. Hmm. Um, all right, let's run through our answers. So the Bears defeated the Eagles in the Fog Bowl in 88 in the playoffs. Mark McGuire was the first player in history back. to hit 50 home runs in four consecutive seasons. Joe Montana pointed out John Candy in the stands before his game-winning drive to win Super Bowl 23. RIP to John Candy, too. Mm-hmm. And Mario Lemieux wore a Nike helmet in his return to the NHL in December 2000. Anthony, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Anthony was on the right track, though, that last question, because Lemieux did wear a CCM helmet later in his career. He also wore a Cooper helmet, and he wore a Jofa. I think people recognize him most for the Jofa. That's right. Yeah, that's the goofy-looking one. It was. And that's helmet talk here on 101 ESPN. So (laughs) B-Flow gets gets whacked. Uh, Also this morning, Matt Nagy got it. both Rick Spielman and uh, Mike Zimmer got it with Minnesota. Fangio got it yesterday. Is that all we have so far? I think so. And uh, maybe that'll be it. I can't believe that Brian Flores got It's like it. a Mike Schultz situation. Yeah. Somebody's going to hire him, and somebody's going to do very well to hire him. Back-to-back winning seasons. Now, obviously, Mike Schultz took teams to the playoffs, so it's a little bit different. And Mike Schultz was uh, a fixture throughout the Cardinals organization. Different. But this is a guy who had back-to-back winning seasons, despite not making the playoffs, turned the team around after a 1-7 and seven start, and clearly ha- beat Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is a guy who had things pointing in the right direction. So the only reason, seemingly, unless there's something behind the surface that we don't know, that you would get rid of a coach like Brian Flores is if you have your white whale, which leads me to believe it has to be Jim Harbaugh. Agreed, 100%. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That was the fight. And coming up... Guy that we uh, used to speak to a lot on this station, haven't spoken to in a long time, long enough. Sean Kelly, the voice of college football on ESPN Radio, is next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sean Kelly is the voice of college football and basketball on ESPN Radio. He's a native of St. Louis. And Michelle Smallman, I have uh, I have not spoken to Sean Kelly in too long a time. He's with us now on the Braun and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Carriker and Smallman. And uh, Mr. Kelly, first of all, great to have you on our airwaves. And secondarily, uh, my apologies, man. It's been a long time. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to hear your voice, Randy and Michelle. Hi, good morning to you, too. Yes, great to talk to you. How have you been? It's been too long for both of us. I know. It's been a long time, uh, and it's been super busy here of late, uh, <laughs> but that comes with the job. So all good, and uh, and miss home in a big, ba- bad way. And unfortunately, I've been able to get back there as well for a while, as, too. So. Uh, all things considered, it's great to have a little reunion here today. Yeah, it's great. Sean, you had a chance to see both Alabama and Georgia extensively this past season and over the years as the voice of college football on ESPN Radio. Georgia, a two-and-a-half-point favorite going into tonight's game. Do you think that's accurate? Would you pick them to I win? Do, I do now. I, I tell you what, when I, I did the Cotton Bowl, so I had Alabama versus Cincinnati. And after watching Alabama in that game and then saw kind of the early line between Georgia and Alabama, I was a bit surprised because I, I just thought that Alabama had looked so good and had, had looked so good for the last six weeks of the, of the season. Um, but now after kind of studying the game tonight a little bit more, maybe I'm not as surprised as I was. And I think there are a few things that Georgia can do differently in this matchup than say what they did against Alabama in the SEC championship game. So I, I do agree with the line that it will be very close, but I am, I just don't have the stomach. I don't like losing at anything, cornhole, baseball, whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't gamble much. And, and heck I did the um, Jaguars Colts game yesterday on ESPN radio. And that would be probably the one game that maybe I would have gambled on. And I'm glad I did. because <laughs> That was shocking too. So Look, I, I, I certainly wouldn't put any money on either side tonight. I just believe the line is correct in saying that it will be a one-score game or less. Well, Sean, let's go back to that SEC championship game that you mentioned, Alabama beating Georgia 41-24 in that one. What did you learn about Georgia in that game, and what adjustments can they make from that game to hopefully beat Alabama tonight? I thought Georgia in that game um, – found it difficult to play Alabama from behind, uh, especially in the second half. And I thought that they were a little conservative defensively against Bryce Young and that Alabama offense. So if I'm looking toward the matchup tonight, I think that Georgia needs to look at what Auburn, LSU to some extent, Arkansas a little bit. The teams that gave Alabama some trouble were very aggressive defensively, and I mean up front. I mean blitzing Bryce Young as much as possible. And as good as Georgia's defense has been all year, I mean, it's the best defense in college football. They were kind of middle of the pack when it came to their blitz rate. I think they need to up that and put young under more pressure tonight. His yards per completion are significantly less when he's under pressure than when uh, teams don't blitz Bryce young. He's a little more dangerous out of the pocket. They're going to have to contain him a little bit, but I think that Georgia defensively needs just needs to be more aggressive with regard to 
making Bryce Young uncomfortable as much as possible. And you would think, Sean, that they would be able to get pressure up the middle, and they didn't get a ton of pressure in the SEC championship game. But with Carter, and especially with Jordan Davis, you would think that they, if they want to apply pressure, that's where they could get it against Bryce Young. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think that one thing that Alabama did against Cincinnati was they recognized that Cincinnati had the two best cornerbacks in college football. They said, all right, well, great. We'll just give the ball to Brian Robinson and we'll just plow up the middle. And then we'll we'll also, you know, kind of pick apart the middle of the field as well with the passing game. And they're not going to be able to do that so much against Georgia and those linebackers and, and their defensive presence up front that you referred to. So that's an advantage for Georgia a little bit in that sense. One thing I think that has been somewhat underreported about Alabama is is that they made an adjustment all the way back in the Auburn game with their offensive line. Alabama's offensive line most of the season was average at best. Um, but then they get Seth McLaughlin there at center, and they start moving some guys around at right tackle, and it seemed to make a real difference. And then we saw the manifestation of that not only against Georgia, but then in the semi against Cincinnati as well. It really changed the way that they could go about their business offensively by those couple of adjustments on the offensive line. Now, of course, Chris Owens got banged up in the in the semifinal. There's still some questions about Evan Neal and what he can be with a shoulder. So um, there's still question marks about Alabama's offensive line, but they're in better shape than they were earlier in the season. That's a wild card to kind of watch for tonight. And, Sean, along with the offensive line, we look at their running back situation, which is historically great. How does Brian Robinson and their their stack up of running backs compare to previous years at Alabama? Well, it doesn't compare a whole lot, other than Brian Robinson has really been good, especially later in the season. Fifth-year guy, but he's really, Randy, the only guy they've got. I mean, if you look at their depth chart the rest of the way, there's nobody else that should scare you or has the ability to scare you at running back. So it's Brian Robinson and that's it. And maybe that's good enough. I mean, the guy, you know, tore up Cincinnati, that, that opening drive that Alabama had in the semi where they ran it all, but one play, it was all Brian Robinson. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's not the road grader that they've had in the past. He's certainly not, you know, Najee <laughs> by any means, but he's good enough um, and has, you know, he has enough twitch. I, I know that's such an overused term now. He has enough twitch to make guys miss by putting his foot in the ground, but um, he's it. You know, if, if, if Robinson were to go down or they find a way to hem him in a little bit, then now Bryce Young has to do more with his arm, and actually that serves Georgia well. Uh, John Mechie is, is a huge loss for them. We can certainly talk about Jamison Williams and how that's changed over the last couple of weeks. But uh, that's, another, that's another situation that the game can turn on whether or not Brian Robinson is the semifinal Brian Robinson or they find a way to make him a little more human. Sean, I wanted to talk to you about the dominance of the SEC. Here we have another national championship, another battle of two SEC teams. You have all of these programs out there throwing tens of millions of dollars, sometimes $100 million, at head coaches uh, trying to achieve some sort of parity in college football. But it feels like that's getting further and further away with the SEC just constantly reloading, especially Georgia and Alabama, with the four- and five-star talent. So do you think that's a good or bad thing for college football? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure I know the answer to that, but it's clear. I mean, Alabama and Georgia are head and shoulders above everybody else. The difference between one and two and then three, four, five, six, all the way through is stark right now. And, look, coaching matters in college football. There's no doubt. That's proven, and you've got two of the best in the business, you know, going head-to-head tonight. Obviously, Kirby's off the saving tree. 
if you will. Um, but the talent level on both of these rosters is, is the real difference. I mean, talent wins these games. Now, I, I would say this, you know, we, we, if I can go off on one little tangent, you know, there's all this argument about should we expand the playoffs. The one argument would be, look, if we only have two dominant teams, then leave it the way it is. But at the same time, I, I mean, I just go back, think about this. If the Auburn running back takes a knee or goes down without going out of bounds, Alabama's probably not playing tonight mm-hmm. just because they would have their second loss. And yet you'd have to say that Alabama is still one of the four best teams in college football. So if we expand it to eight or 12, then Alabama's in and you still have the best teams playing for the championship. So that's, that's the difference between the conversation of there's two teams and everybody else, or it's razor thin and one play in the iron bowl could have determined whether or not Alabama's in or not in a field of just four, as opposed to eight or 12. So, that that's kind of where I stand. I just I actually did not answer your question at all. I just <laughs> actually fired a bunch of thoughts at you with regard to that. Yeah, but they were great thoughts and great uh, discussion points in what is a, a pretty complicated conversation. But Sean, I did want to ask you about the news that's happening right now. So in kind of a surprising move, Brian Flores was fired by the Miami Dolphins, and a lot of people are trying to connect the dots to Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan coach, because the Dolphins owner Stephen Ross obviously has connections to Michigan and therefore to Harbaugh. And whether or not it's the Dolphins' job, there's been a a lot of speculation that this season might be the season that Harbaugh makes a leap back to the NFL. Do you think that that's a good time for him to do that? He's taken a lot of heat at Michigan, but based on what we just talked about, the lack of parity and really competing for a national championship in college football, even with one of his best Michigan teams, do you think that he'll ever really be able to get there as the coach of Michigan? Or do you think it's better off if he goes back to the NFL? It's a tough conversation. Look, I mean, Unfortunately, the three of us have been doing this long enough that, A, it's a positive because we have seen history, but we also know that money drives everything. And don't ever forget this is the entertainment business. So um, Harbaugh takes a pay cut and then has success in Michigan this past year. Is all this talk about Harbaugh going back to the NFL a play to recover some of that money he gave up at Michigan? That's the cynic in me. The other side, though, would be this. Um, as long as Ohio State is in that same conference and as long as Ohio State is the arch rival of Michigan, Harbaugh's got his work cut out for him in a big, bad way. And there is that. Harbaugh had tremendous success as an NFL head coach, unlike many other college coaches who have made the jump once or twice. So you'd have to say that Harbaugh would be successful at the NFL level. That's already been proven. And, yes, there are ties to the Miami folks. The Chicago thing could be intriguing as well as now. Nagy's out and Ryan Pace in Chicago. So that's a clean slate. All those things play into it. If I'm Jim Harbaugh and I'm looking at NIL and transfer portals and, and having big, bad Ohio state in your conference, maybe, maybe I make that jump back to the NFL, but at the same time, he's a big culture guy and he now has reestablished a Michigan culture that has made their alumni and fan base pretty proud after what he accomplished this past season. Sean Kelly, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us uh, this morning here in St. Louis, and enjoy the national championship game tonight. Let's go Blues, and uh, yes, I will enjoy the football game tonight as well from the comfort of my home. All right. Take care, Sean. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. That is Sean Kelly, the voice of college football and basketball and a lot of NFL action as well on ESPN Radio. Does a great job, and good to hear from him. And 
So it's Black Monday, and a lot of coaches are getting fired, and maybe general managers too. Well, at least one, maybe more. We'll have that for you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, next weekend, you've got uh, the playoffs in the NFL. Raiders at Bengals on Saturday at 3.30 St. Louis time. Then the night game is the Patriots at the Bills. That one can be seen on CBS, the first game Saturday on NBC. Then Sunday, a triple header. Fox has a noon game, Eagles and Buccaneers. I would presume that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman will have that one for you. CBS will have, that's Channel 4 here in St. Louis, the Niners and the Cowboys at 3.30. And then the night game, again, NBC. Pittsburgh is at Kansas City. That's next Sunday night. And then Monday night football, first Monday night playoff game ever, the St. Louis Bowl, the Arizona Cardinals visiting the L.A. Rams. A lot happening. A lot happening in football right now. Holy cow. It is Black Monday, and traditionally this is the day where a lot of coaches get fired, and coaches and GMs throughout the league, Michelle, getting whacked this morning, not in a pleasant way either. When you look at the <laughs> when you look at the NFC North. A year ago, the Lions got a new general manager and coach. This year, this morning, the Bears and the Vikings have both fired their general manager and coach. In Chicago, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. In Minnesota, Rick Spielman and uh, Mike Zimmer. And by the way, Rick Spielman's brother Chris is in the Lions front office. And I don't think anybody would be surprised to see Rick Spielman land in Detroit. I wonder where the Bears are headed because we first got the word about Matt Nagy and there was no update on Ryan Pace and what his status was in Chicago. But now seeing that he's out too, I wonder if they have a guy in mind in Chicago because clearly if they have a head coaching candidate that they're targeting and this person might want to start fresh, that's why you get rid of Ryan Pace. I mean, you can make the argument that the record is why you should get rid of, or the, the history is why you should get rid of Ryan Pace. But I wonder if Doug Peterson might be the guy for Chicago. I keep thinking about Doug Peterson and what a good fit that he might be there. And after everything that happened with Howie Roseman and the Eagles, I would imagine that he would mm-hmm. want autonomy in picking who his GM, in, GM is. It's probably just best for Chicago to wipe the slate clean anyway but I just think that might be a a pretty important qualification if you're going out to get Doug Peterson to let him know that he's going to have a hand in picking who his GM is going to be but if you're the McCaskey family don't you go to a guy that played for Ditka and has all kinds of NFL success don't you make Harbaugh say no you you should I mean he would be an unbelievable fit there yeah and Bears fans would love him I think he'd be great with Justin Fields. He right, you look at what he did with Kaepernick. For sure. Um, you know that he has the resume to have success mm-hmm. in the NFL. It's a big win from a PR standpoint. And, yeah, I mean, he would be a great hire there, too, especially now that it seems like Harbaugh is not on the radar of the Dolphins. So I have some updated news from Jeff Darlington. So uh, the surprise of the day is Brian Flores getting fired in Miami after beating the Patriots yesterday, turning the Dolphins around two back-to-back winning seasons despite not making the playoffs. But a lot of people were connecting the dots to Stephen Ross and his connections to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. But Jeff Darlington, who's very plugged in in Miami, have, has these two tweets, Randy. The first one says, while I realize 
Otherwise, many are assuming Flores' departure is tied to Harbaugh's potential availability. I can assure you that is not the case. The Dolphins are not targeting Jim Harbaugh, per sources. The decision to fire Flores is completely independent. Jeff Darlington quote tweets that by saying, and this is interesting, the decision to fire Flores can be summed up with one word, relationships. His relationship with Greer, the GM who is apparently safe, and Tua had deteriorated to a pretty bad place. Along with constant staff changes, owner Stephen Ross no longer saw Flores as a healthy fit in Miami. So I think we have some classic philosophical differences here. It sure sounds like it. And I wonder if they have somebody, I don't even know if the Dolphins staff, even though they're our team, I don't know if they have somebody that could take over for Brian Flores and be more amenable in terms of playing well with others or if they go outside the organization. But this is interesting on many levels because during the commercial break, we were trying to unpack this a little bit and there had been reports out there that the Dolphins wanted Deshaun Watson and Brian Flores wasn't so keen on that idea. So you and I were kicking around, well, maybe their interest in Deshaun is so severe that they're getting any possible uh, speed bumps out of the way. And if Brian Flores wasn't down with that, well, they're going to move on from him. But to hear Jeff Darlington say that Flores' relationship with Tua had deteriorated mm-hmm. and that's that they're essentially choosing Tua over Brian Flores, I would imagine that they're pretty set on Tua and not Deshaun Watson if that was a factor You'd in his so. firing. Yeah. And there are, by reports at least, a lot of teams interested in Bill O'Brien, who's going to be coaching tonight, the offensive coordinator for Alabama, former head coach of the Texans. I would think Miami would join that list of teams, along with Jacksonville. Their general manager, Trent Balky, apparently, reportedly, has pitched O'Brien as head coach and Vic Fangio mm-hmm. as defensive coordinator. O'Brien also apparently will get an interview uh, with the Bears. So there's going to be a lot of competition for the services of Bill O'Brien. I don't, I just can't figure out the Miami situation. I get that maybe the relationships were not what they wanted them to be. And I wonder how hard they tried to fix them. But I have to believe also that Brian Flores, after what he was able to accomplish and the success that he had against Belichick, yes, he's going to be an in-demand guy. You would think so. And gosh, if you're making that decision, even though you saw improvements from Tua and there's money wrapped up in him, I I would just assume if you had to choose Tua and the GM or the head coach that seemingly turned your team around and had it positioned in a better spot that you would go with the head coach. But that also shows you that a lot of things happen behind the scenes that we're not privy to. And that's an obvious statement. But Brian Flores seemingly was such a champion of Tua when the Deshaun Watson thing was going on around the rumors the trade deadline he was like no he's our quarterback i told him publicly i've told him privately we are going to go with tua and i'm sticking by that so to hear that that relationship had deteriorated to such a point Mm -hmm. that brian flores is now fired is something that i wasn't expecting now let's take a look at minnesota because zimmer had been there for eight years rick spielman had been there for a long time I obviously have no idea where the Will family will go in hiring a new GM and a new coach. But you talk about a fan base, you talk about a stadium. They're obviously willing to spend. Now, they are tied, I believe, to Kirk Cousins for at least one more year. But they have some really good young talent. Dalvin Cook at running back, Justin Jefferson at wide receiver, Thielen at wide receiver. They lost both defensive ends, Hunter and Griffin, this year. Hunter will be back, Everson Griffin dealing with mental issues. They've got a lot of good elements in Minnesota. I'll be interested to see what direction they go. And I would 
I would think that if they were in the market for a big name, that that would be an attractive spot. I was just going to say, if you're a candidate, if your name's getting kicked around in all of these conversations, I think Minnesota would be a pretty desirable landing spot for you um, compared compare to some of these other places. I mean, would you... Okay, if you're, let's say... We'll just use Jim Harbaugh. Okay. Let's say you have Minnesota on the table and Jacksonville on the table. Which situation are you more intrigued by? Even though, even though Trevor Lawrence is in Jacksonville, I'm scared to death of working for Shad Khan. So I think I would go with the Vikings, where that ownership seems to be stable. They keep people around. Not that Shad doesn't keep people around. But they, they seem to do the right thing in Minnesota more than they do in Jacksonville. But that Trevor Lawrence ship is a pretty desirable asset to it, have. It is. And they've got Etienne coming back. Yep. They've got Josh Allen at defensive end. They've got uh, when you Charlie Army always told me what you want to do to build a championship team, have a Pro Bowl quarterback, Pro Bowl running back, Pro Bowl receiver, left tackle, pass rusher, corner. All right. Now, they've got the pass rusher there. They've got the quarterback there. They've got the running back in Etienne. Uh, Cam Robinson's okay at left tackle. So they need a couple of items. But I, I just I, I think that they need to get a general manager that's not Trent Balky and give him control of that situation. Okay, let me float a uh, scenario by mm-hmm. you. This is somebody whose name always gets brought up. He has almost left. He's been at the pre- he's left before, but he's been mm-hmm. at the precipice of leaving again and he heel turned. What about Josh McDaniels to Minnesota? Do you think that that would be a desirable situation for him? Yeah, I could see that. I could absolutely see that. And him bringing along one of the former Patriots guys that's out there, whether mm-hmm. Dimitrov or Scott Pioli or somebody like that. I could see them trying, the Will family especially, trying to recreate what uh, they have in New England. And by the way, McDaniels then bringing Flores as his defensive coordinator. Ooh, what about Jimmy G maybe? There you go. I, I know Kirk is locked up with some money, but you never know. Just get the band back together. But I just I wonder if if Josh McDaniels he he obviously left the Colts at the altar, and everybody thought that it's because he was the guy in mm-hmm. waiting for when Belichick will retire. But what is that going to be? I wonder if he's starting never. to get antsy again, and if Minnesota might be a pretty desirable situation with a lot of pieces in place for him to make that jump again out of New England. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, I, I could see McDaniels wanting to make the move. This is the fun part. I yeah. mean, not that guys get fired. That's always sad. But the speculation yeah. of where, where coaches might go or what guys, teams might be targeting. And it's still only 9-14 Central Time. You still have Seattle. It's only 7-14 there. We don't know about P.E. Carroll's future. He wants to be there. You still don't know about the football team because apparently it's such a mess. And Ron Rivera... He's got a bunch of unvaccinated players, and he's trying to overcome cancer. And he wasn't very happy with his group of players this year. And you still have the Giants, who last week provided a vote of confidence for Joe Judge. Mm -hmm. But after the last couple of weeks, he seems to be on the hot seat, too. Did not expect Brian Flores to get fired before Joe Judge. I did not either. What about David Cauley in Houston? Do you think he's safe? So the reports are that Nick Casario, their general manager, is on the headset with Cully throughout the game. And Cully is only a figurehead. That Nick Casario is basically their head coach, but he's doing it from upstairs. It's hard to find a patsy like that among people that are head coaches in the NFL. So I would think that Cully's probably safe because if Casario gets rid of him, he's going to have to find another guy that will take his orders.
Well, they'll probably stay a dysfunctional organization then. Yeah, they will. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to have our weekly visit with Danny Mack here on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack got a surprise phone call late last week saying, hey, Dan, you want to do a basketball game on ESPN Plus? The Billikens have Iona coming in. And Dan Scott Highmark did a great job on the telecast of the Billikens and Iona. And Dan joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He's going to be with us every Monday morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Good uh, good week to you. Good morning. And uh, what a fun weekend it was of sports. I'll tell you what. I, I, I said to Michelle earlier, tell me if you agree, because – the Billikens missed out on a couple of opportunities with home games against UAB and Auburn to get that good win that the committee looks for. Do you think that this Iona victory can be a good win once you get to tournament selection time? It will be because Iona may win their conference. They're probably going to go to postseason play one way or another. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament or they're going to go to the NIT. But they're going to go to postseason play. You have the Rick Pitino factor, and that is a really good team. Um, you start looking at some of the, the various ways to rank a team and some of the just outside of where you're ranked overall, but some of the ways to really get into the nuts and bolts of where they're at. And they're one of the top 50 teams in the country. Uh, I was talking with some people after the game and then yesterday. In my time of off and on doing the Billikens for the last 20 years, that's probably the most physical defensive team I've seen against the Billikens ever that I've seen against them in person. Now, I'm sure they've had other games that have been way more physical against them in Conference USA and probably some of those top five or top ten teams that came in. But uh, to see it up close and Rick Pitino and how he got after Yuri Collins, how he was able to really uh, shut down Gibson, Jibberson, and, and not get him the touches that, that the Billikens wanted to get him, he he is a mastermind, man. He's the Nick Saban of of college basketball, and it was it was fun to see him in person. And and guys, where I was positioned, and myself and Scott Highmark, we were right next to Rick Pitino and his bench. And he just gets after his guys. He motivates his guys, and he does a great job. So. Uh, to your original point, Randy, I, I think it's going to wind up being a really good win uh, for SLU, and I'm sure they're going to have to do a one-and-one one with this deal in the schedule, whether they play them again you know, next year or the year after and go on the road. But uh, it, it, it is a good win for SLU, no doubt about it. Well, Dan, baseball may be locked out, but that doesn't mean we can't talk some Cardinals baseball here with you. And All right. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> That'll be fine. Uh, Paul DeYoung, the Cardinals are committed to him for 2022, and I know we always look at 2019, that all-star season, 30 home runs, as the place we'd like to see Paul DeYoung get back to. Why do you think that he can get back to that point? If you were making the argument, what would you state as why you think Paul DeYoung can get back to 2019 Paul DeYoung? I'm not sure he can, Michelle. I'm hopeful that he can. Um, you know, there, there are signs where, first of all, he's got to be healthy. And I think that's the number one thing. I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough last year is that he was hurt and did not go on a rehab assignment and then came back and got in a rut. And it is hard at the major league level when you are trying to come back from injury and you don't take a rehab assignment. Now, I understand when guys don't want to do it, whether it's 
individually they just don't feel like they need to, to do it or the team needs that that particular individual because they bring other things to the table uh, you know it's defense or whatever that can help you win games but trying to get your timing back it's really hard to do that and then you get in bad habits and I, I thought he got into a rut and then the other part of it was that Sosa emerged and then you were running out of time I mean they, they had such a terrible June that you couldn't afford to say, well, let's just keep throwing them out there and let them go over four. But, you know, it doesn't matter. We have an eight-game lead. They, they just couldn't do that. So um, to answer your question, I, I do would – well, let me put it this way. I would like to think that he can get back to 20, 25 home runs and, and be a consistent player. I think that's there. Can he get back to 30? Um, I, it's going to be tough because he's going to get pushed. And I think if he doesn't come, get off to a good start, I think Sosa is going to be the guy that they go to. So it, it's going to be a tough year for him. But I think the the real key will be getting off to a good start that, that allows him to to play every day. And as long as he's playing every day, that gives him the opportunity to put up the numbers. Hey, Dan, we saw with the truncated 2020 spring training two brought to you by Camping World, how difficult a lot of players had uh, uh, how difficult of a time they had in trying to have a successful season when they didn't have their normal preparation. And that brings me to concerns about 2022 because I especially look at the young Cardinal outfielders who have some success but not a ton. And I would be concerned if there were a shortened spring training about their ability to get through it. I'm not saying they can't succeed, but that would be a concern of mine as a fan to say, okay, are they ready and experienced enough to be able to get ready for a season with only two or three weeks of spring training? I would be more concerned, Randy, about the young pitching um, than I am with the young outfielders. And the only reason I say that is that I think, and while you're right, like Bader a couple of years ago, uh, and it may have been last year, he had like two or three hits in spring training. He, He did not have a good spring training. It was bad. But the outfielders and position players kind of look at it as a way when they're established to, to work on things to where I've always looked at spring training as a way to build up the pitchers. And so my concern would be for argument's sake that they begin, you know, March 1st, March 2nd, and the beginning of the season is late March. So you've only got three to four weeks. I think if you're any team out there, you've got to, you got to have depth because that means initially at least your first month or so, or the first handful of starts, your guys are not going to go deep. So that would concern me a little bit more than the other guys because the other guys, you know, your position players now, they're always hitting, they're always in shape, you'd like to think, and I do believe they are. They come into camp in in great shape, in baseball shape too, and there is the grind of the season of getting up every day and playing and dealing with the the nicks and the, the cuts and the bruises and all those things that happen with baseball, but... I'd be more concerned about my pitching and just making sure that those guys are, are built up to, to some level to go when they say we're ready to play you know, regular season baseball. Because even if a guy, is the timing is not quite right at the end of spring training, they, they, you know, there's game after game after game where if you're a pitcher, it's just like, okay, you're going to go four innings and then the next – you know, time out. If things go to plan, you're going to get six, and then the next time it's you know you're built up to seven or eight, and by that time you're you're like three weeks into the season. It it takes time, so that's that would be my concern if I ran a franchise. Is just how are we going to cover the innings of that first month, month and a half? 
Well, Dan, speaking of spring training, if when we get to camp, who's the guy that you're the most intrigued to see this year? Boy, that's a great question. I, I would say uh, Yepes would would definitely Juan Yepes would definitely be uh, at the top of my list from a position player standpoint, and then Matthew Libertor from the from the uh, pitching standpoint. I, I, I think, and, and probably Nolan Gorman with Yepes one and one A. You know, just to see where they're at. I've seen a, a, not enough of Lars Newpar, but I I know uh, I've seen him at the major league level a little bit. Know, uh, know more about him. Where the other two, I want to see what kind of progress that uh, I heard about that they made last year, see what they look like in spring training, and just see if they're ready to make that jump to, uh, to Major League Baseball. Hey, Dan, one final thing. John Lynch, general manager of the 49ers, tweeting out, hey, hashtag faithful, thank you, thank you, thank you. You stuck with us when it wasn't looking good. You took over SoFi. Let's go. See you in Dallas. So do you think that the uh, San Francisco faithful are going to make their way to Jerry World next weekend? Uh, no, because it's really easy to go down to uh, L.A. and just take over there, <laughs> apparently. It was unbelievable how loud it got. But, you know, Randy, you and I talked about that, where uh, way back when, when there was talk of the Rams moving, you know, Oakland was their, their, the Raiders, I should say. That was really their team. It wasn't the mm-hmm. Rams. And that's the team that they got behind. And it just never made sense for so many different aspects as to why you were going to put the Rams there um, in terms of just the fandom of it, you know, and, and trying to get behind your team. It was the, the Raiders that was the, the team that they really wanted and they followed just from a fan perspective, not from the ownership, not from uh, the money and all the different things that go with it. But it, it was so loud by the end of that game last night. It was amazing. It was great. And Martin Kilcoin tweeted last night, looks like L.A.'s two most popular NFL teams won today, the Raiders and the Rams opponent. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is true. It's true. It no doubt. Hey, have a great day, Daniel. As always, thanks for taking some time, and we'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Catch you up next Monday. You bet. That is Danny Mack with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. You can hear the national championship game tonight here on 101 ESPN pregame at 6, kickoff just after 7, and we're glad to bring it to you. So if you're driving around, tune into Alabama and Georgia. The dogs are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. A big thing happened in sports yesterday, Rainy, that we didn't even get to, and that's the return of Clay Thompson. You may have forgotten, because it's been a minute, that Clay Thompson tore his left ACL in Game 6 of the 2019 NBA Finals and his right Achilles in November of 2020. And after two and a half years, 941 days to be exact, he was back on the court with the Golden State Warriors. He's back! And now, in his 11th NBA season, out of Washington State University, number 11, Clay Thompson! 
The crowd was going nuts. It was an amazing scene. Thompson finished with 17 points. He was 7 of 18 from the field, 3 of 8 from three-point range. And he actually had some milestones, Randy, 12,000 points and 1,800 three-pointers. So it's great to see Clay Thompson back with the Warriors. They defeated the Cavaliers, by the way, 96 to 82 in that contest. The Splash Brothers and great things have happened for the Warriors this year, aside from the fact that they have the best record in the West, and Steph Curry is having an MVP year, but they added Andrew Wiggins at the trade deadline a couple of years ago, and he's fit in like a glove with them. He's finally adapted to what Steve Kerr wants them to do, and they've obviously gotten great work out of the surrounding cast of Steph Curry. Now you add Clay Thompson to that mix, they have a chance to really be, well, they, they have a chance to be what they were a few years ago with Kevin Durant there. They, they have a chance to be that good and to win another championship. And by the way, can I give you one, one other quick yes, note? Yes, always. I love a note. Clay Thompson's brother, Trace Thompson, best friend of Nolan Arenado. Really? Yeah. Well, we should get the Thompson brothers at Bush Stadium. That's a good idea. Host them. You're killing me, Small. Well, Randy, yesterday the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Carolina Panthers 41-17. to They had no issues with the Panthers. In the fourth quarter, you knew that the game was in hand, and Bruce Arians wanted Tom Brady out of the game. They have playoffs to worry about, but you're seeing Tom Brady telling Blaine Gabbert, stay on the sidelines, I've got something to do. Here's why. Here's how this scene played out. A pass, you know he's not going to try and hand it off. But when you could do either, the run back say, okay. I'm not taking it. You're not taking me out. <laughs> Let's see who has more power, Brady or Arians. Whitfield picked it up. Whitfield picked it up. Well, they're trying Fasty. to get Gronk his 50 grand or what was it? <laughs> trying to earn him some money. Well, JB, that's kind of dicey there. And Tom Brady has been pulled from the game. That's what it was. They wanted to get him. It was what? Tracy had talked about it. How much was it? It was a uh, half a billion dollars. I would have came out from up here. I mean. You heard Tony Romo reference it. So Rob Gronkowski got a $500,000 bonus if he caught 55 passes this season. They were trying to take Tom Brady out of the game with Gronk sitting at 54 catches in the fourth quarter. You know Brady had to take care of his guy. Yeah, and he wound up getting a million. He got the 55-catch bonus, and then he had a big day, seven catches for 137 yards. So good for Gronk and great for Brady. What a great teammate. And how funny is that to hear Tony Romo say, let's see who has more power, Tom Brady oh. or Bruce Arians? Is that even a question? I think we know. <laughs> I think we're aware who has yeah. more power. And by the way, doesn't that make – it's got to make uh, Antonio Brown feel like even more of an idiot, doesn't it? When Brady is staying in the game to get Grant Gronk the money and Br- Brown was so close to getting his million dollars. You, It's all about how you handle things. Mm-hmm. You know, I imagine if Antonio Brown went to Tom Brady and said, I really need this money – can you make sure that you're mm-hmm. getting me the ball instead of ripping a shirt off and running off the field? But I yeah. don't think he was that. Yes, he was concerned about the money, Randy, but he might have been concerned that the woman he had had a slumber party with tested positive for COVID uh, the I don't night know. before. I, I don't know if he's that concerned about that sort of thing. He, he does some pretty wacky things. Here's another thing, though. Somebody texted in last week, and I think this is a valid and realistic point. It's possible that Antonio Brown didn't realize the season had been extended to 17 games. I would not put it past it. I mean, that would just be another footnote of Mm -hmm. what a crazy saga that entire thing turned out to be. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, 
Brady and Gronk are obviously bros, but there is no love lost between Pat Maroon and Brad Marchand. Do you remember him, Randy, the guy who was crying when the Blues mm-hmm. beat the yeah. Bruins in the Stanley yeah. Cup final? Yeah. And we like people that express their emotions, but come on. So anyway, the Bruins played the Lightning on Saturday. They ended up winning 5-2. to two. But those two guys, a lot of chirping, a lot of chirping. He might do it earlier on in this game. He and Brad Marchand just going at it. Neither one of them shy. Trent Frederick, not surprising. He's in the middle of a tube of maroon. Was looking right past him. He didn't care. I was waiting for this to happen a little bit earlier. Pat Maroon, one of his lines was, hey, I got three Stanley Cups. How many you got? Yeah, I know you got one, but that's not enough. Brad Marchand yelling at Pat Maroon saying, I own you. I bleeping own you. Patty Maroon says, I got three Stanley Cups. How many you got? If you're going to say you own somebody, maybe not the big rig. No. Let's roll the tape, shall we? That's all we have to do. This is the guy that looked at your team square in the eye and said, you guys are blanked. Yep. And they were, in fact, blanked. Yeah, we we look at the biggest head-to-head matchups, and Maroon has beaten Marchand every single turn. And he's got the overall scoreboard, as he said. Three Stanley Cups. Right, that's... (laughs) And two of them in the East, and then one head-to-head against the Bruins. So, yeah, Marchand, you're... uh, you're just a pest. That's all you got going for you. He really is. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, what's on tap? A lot going on today. And we'll get you ready for tonight's college football championship game as well on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. pleasure of working with a sports trailblazer every day. There aren't many women who work in sports talk radio in our country and only one in our town that's working in sports talk radio and that's Michelle Smallman. And so because my daughter is a huge sports fan and because I work with you on a daily basis, I'm always excited and intrigued when a woman gets an opportunity that hasn't been afforded a female in the past, like Kim Ng getting the general manager's job with the Marlins last year. And Michelle, yesterday it was reported that Rachel Balkovic, a former member of the Cardinal organization, a strength coach in their minor league system, is going to be the first affiliated female manager in baseball with the Yankees low A Tampa team next season. Which is great news. You mentioned Kim Ng too. We're seeing women occupy different seats within baseball that weren't occupied before breaking glass ceilings which is awesome. But just like Kim Ng she's got the pedigree. She's been in baseball for a long time in the Cardinals organization with the Astros as you mentioned. She has been in baseball her entire life and I think that this is a great opportunity for her and I would not be surprised Randy if we start to see more women take over roles like this in baseball. No, we we should because women know what they're doing, and I, I, I'll say this: women are actually more stable than men. They're probably they're, they're better bosses. They are. So she'll have a better. You can say it. You yeah. can agree with me. But there was an opportunity for a member of the Giants, San Francisco Giants coaching staff, to uh, be a minor league manager, and she decided that she would rather be at the major league level. So. She has stayed there throughout, and I would think, Michelle, that there are going to be more and more women that get opportunities in baseball because we're seeing it. We're starting to see the proliferation. Hopefully at some point we see the same thing with basketball. We're seeing females on football coaching staffs throughout, and a lot of times just because of the the nature of 
the the male and the testosterone level, they're going to say, well, you, you got to prove to me that you know what you're talking about. And these people do. That's the great thing about it. And I love her story. I was reading about her last night, and she was waitressing and working at Lululemon trying to advance her career in baseball. And she was trying to be sneaky about it because she wasn't getting opportunities. So she changed her name from Rachel to Ray on her resume. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying that she was a softball catcher, she just said, I was a college catcher on her resume because she knew that it was going to be difficult for her to make headways as a woman in baseball. And so it's amazing to see that she persisted through all that she persevered and that she's in this position. And, And Randy, with the way that analytics has taken over baseball and having actually played in the majors and being a manager is getting valued less and less and you're really just kind of getting presented the numbers and the playbook of what you want the front office to do it doesn't really matter who you are or what your background looks like if you can manage personalities and you can read the numbers that's a those are the characteristics that you're looking for in a manager male or female mike schild never played pro ball oliver marmal played only minor league ball heck Tony Larusa got just a cup of coffee at the major league level, but now when you talk about the the here and now, the people that are getting coaching jobs and managerial jobs at the major league level are getting them because they're really smart. And that, uh, I, I mentioned Alyssa Nacken with the Giants. One of the reasons that she's still on their major league staff is because even with Gabe Kapler, who's a really smart guy, she's the smartest person on their staff. And she, she understands the information that's being presented and has a great way of presenting it to the players. And I think that's what so many women who are in sports just want, is we just want to be looked at the best candidate for the job. Not, yeah. oh, you're the you're the best female option, and we, we want to integrate that into what we're doing. No, you're just the best candidate, period. And we need to reach a point, and it's not going to be easy, but we need to reach a point where a woman is officiating in an NFL game. And we don't say, oh, there's a woman officiating an NFL game where it's just an official. And that's the way it's become in the NBA, hasn't it? There are so many female officials in the NBA, we don't think twice about that. And that's the way it needs to become on benches, on sidelines, on courts, on fields, is that all that's necessary, just just like anybody else in the world, I was presented an opportunity and took advantage of it as a broadcaster. And that's all anybody can ask for is an opportunity. But that's why hires like this one are so important because when I was growing up, I never thought sports talk radio was something I could do because I never saw someone that looked like me occupy Mm -hmm. the seat. But think about how many young women are watching baseball and they see someone like Kim Ng and they think, I want to be a general manager when I grow up. And then they can literally shape their path from an education standpoint and from an experience standpoint to go out and achieve that goal. And And it just feels more realistic to you when you see someone that looks like you doing it. Absolutely. And right now, I believe we have either three or four female play-by-play mm-hmm. people for NBA franchises. We see Jessica Mendoza on Sunday Night Baseball for a long time. We get to hear people like Beth Mowens and uh, several others doing play-by-play for NFL games. So progress is being made incrementally, slowly but surely. I'm mad at you, baseball, but good job. <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's get baseball back. Uh, <laughs> All right, tonight, national championship game, Georgia favored by two and a half, one of the great defenses in the history of the sport. They only allowed 17 points this season more than once, and that was in the SEC championship game when they allowed the 41 to Alabama. All due respect to what Georgia has accomplished, I'm taking Alabama again. Unless you're a Georgia fan, do you really feel comfortable picking Georgia? And even if you are a Georgia fan, do you feel comfortable picking Georgia? And that's not taking anything away from what this team is and what they've been able to accomplish, but... 
I just don't know who in their right mind at this point would pick against Nick Saban after they've already beaten Georgia, and he's had all of this time to go over that game and prepare for this one. I just... You, we could talk about individual matchup. We could talk about schematics. We could talk about Georgia's defense. I, it boils down to the most simplistic of mm-hmm. things for me, which is that I don't want to bend against Nick Saban in this moment. And Saban coaches, his coaches. He's got a fantastic coaching staff, and that's why I agree with you. And I was kind of surprised when Sean Kelly said that he was still going with Georgia and feels like they have the better group of players. And if Georgia wins, heck, they're supposed to. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. But I'm like you. I'm not going to bet a, a, against Nick Saban, who is, I believe, 15-1 and one against his former assistants. But, you know, the Braves did win. Maybe it is Georgia's time. Maybe there's that oh, juju in the air. You know, Georgia fans, Atlanta fans, they've been through a lot. But maybe now the Braves have kind of broken things open, and Georgia can get it done. If they win, good for them. That, that'll... Oh, I'm cheering for Georgia. I just wouldn't put money on it. Missouri lost to Georgia, so they could say, well, yeah, we're the second-best team in the country. We we wouldn't have been – well, I guess they really can't say that. Do you think that there – Mizzou fans out there, you can tell me. Do you take any pride in the fact that it's an SEC uh, national championship again? Are you like, oh, well, we're in the SEC. It's the best. Yeah, that's why we're 500. Because we're getting beat up by SEC teams all the time. (laughs) Hey, you can join Michelle this Saturday from 4 to 6 at Copper Fire in Belleville. Come out before the game. Enjoy 16 drought taps, all served ice cold. Specialty slushies. Michelle's favorite is the... Gloria Cocktail Slushie. If you're watching the Blues, you got to have the Gloria Cocktail Slushie. It's amazing. All happens Saturday from 4 to 6 with Michelle at Copper Fire. Get more details at 101ESPN.com. Great job today by our producer and engineer, Andrew Marsh. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. And he set up the interviews with Sean Kelly and Danny Mack. And if you miss those, you can hear them again on our podcast at 101ESPN.com. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Michelle, this was a fun Monday. It was. And we also need to give one more shout out to Andrew's Beachwear. Oh, spectacular. Yeah, and check it out at M. Smallman on the Twitter machine. Did you put it up on the uh, the Insta also? Uh, I will as soon as the show is over. And I retweeted it on Twitter as well. The beachwear is fantastic. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Uh, the balloon party with Tim McKernan is coming up. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.